1: Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today I'm recording from Prague in the Czech Republic. And here in Europe, we just set our clocks ahead last weekend. So for me, it means that spring's on its way. And I'm so excited about that. We do it a little bit later than our colleagues in North America. Um, but this is a real indication the weather here and everything's going on great. And spring is here. So thank you for joining us. And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And welcome back to our returning listeners. And if you are a new listener, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we also talk about Business issues. We talk about technology impacts. We have talked about data protection regulations. And those all alongside the leadership issues that we talk about, such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So Please download this series on iTunes or Google Play. You can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, that you can motivate yourself with and stimulate new ideas and possibly even be the key to your success. I invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Tell me what you want to hear about. I'd love to hear from you, so please drop me a mail. Now, if you'd like to be a guest, you can also contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. If you're a professional or business person with a passion or an expert on a business subject, reach out to me. And even if you don't want to be a guest, make sure you listen to us. Each week, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful either for your business or for yourself. Now on to what we're going to talk about today. In 1956, the term artificial intelligence or AI was used at a conference at Dartmouth College in Hanover New Hampshire in the United States. And in the years after that, government, corporate corporations and public interest waned and risen. Then in the 70s we kind of had a low which was called the AI winter, when various groups halted progress in AI technology because of its ethical consequences. But then in the 80s, the Japanese started exploring into AI, but again, there was a lot of controversy around it. Until 1997, if everybody remembers that, when IBM's Deep Blue became the first computer to beat a human at chess when it defeated world championship Gary Castro. The chess match brought to light the question of what else we could teach computers to do. And now, over 20 years later, 21 years later, AI is still in its infancy stage, but is now part of our lives. Voice detection technology, suggestive searches, autonomous cars, are just a few of the ways that artificial intelligence has burrowed its way into our lives. And many companies are competing to be the first to unveil the next level of AI. But how is AI changing both our personal and business life? And where is AI headed? And do we really understand its capabilities and what's going on in the world? What's going on in the syntax of the world? Those people who are exploring AI. And that's what we're going to talk about today with an expert on AI and machine learning. And very often, our series, Leadership Beyond Borders, focuses on leading women in different various fields. And I'm happy to announce today that I have found one of the leading women in the field of AI, and she is our guest today. And her name is Nell Watson. Nell Watson is an engineer, entrepreneur, and futurist thinker who grew up in Northern Ireland. She has a long standing interest in the philosophy of technology and how extensions of human capacity drive emerging social trends. In 2010, Nell, Nell founded Poikos, a machine learning driven AI for body measurement. Nell's patent technology dematerializes the 3D body scanner by providing accurate 3D scans of the body with only 2D camera hardware, such as that found within smartphones or laptops. This may be applied to a range of markets, such as mass customization and health. Nell is also the co-founder of EssexNet.com, a machine ethics data set that aims to crowdsource ethical heuristics for autonomous systems. Nell lectures globally on machine intelligence, AI philosophy, human-machine relationships, and the future of human society, serving on the faculty of AI and robotics at Singularity University. Singularity University is a Silicon Valley University focused and specializing technology and human behavior, a kind of think tank university which offers educational programs and is a business incubator. So now welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here thank you so now let's just let's start out a little bit on the high level for our listeners and and kind of explain to give us a quick overview of, of what ai is or, and maybe what the difference between ai and machine learning is or the similarities so we kind of get a a place to start with yeah we hear a lot of these
2: phrases artificial intelligence machine learning deep learning and In many ways, they are kind of analogous, um, but having a good understanding of how those are specifically different is sometimes um, useful. Artificial intelligence is one of those terms that we should be reasonably familiar with. It's this idea of replicating something like a biological intelligence within machines, right? And there are many different forms of that, whether they are... Um, hand-coded by machines. So it's basically like uh, a little bit like the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, behind the, the curtain. Uh, it may look very clever on the surface, but there's um, somebody's hand-programmed it uh, to look uh, that way. But there are emerging forms of artificial intelligence, such as machine learning, which are able to learn about the world themselves. So basically, you can introduce a lot of uh, virtual experiences i suppose to these kinds of systems and they will begin to learn just like any other biological organism so they don't need to be um handheld or hand programmed so much Mm -hmm. now there's a subset of machine learning called deep learning and this is a very um, powerful technique which has emerged in the past few years and this is a method of using very complex learning methods of many many layers and it's much more computationally intensive and it eats tons and tons of data but the results are sometimes absolutely phenomenal
1: so just to to clarify that if i, I mean, in my intro i talked about 1997 i mean that I, we have advanced so much since then but but with deep blue is that an example of machine learning or is that an in- Example of artificial intelligence just to help our, our listeners understand the difference
2: well, I would say that um, deep blue is a form of uh, m- machine learning, but it was trained on uh, on a uh, a corpus, a uh, collection of thousands and thousands and thousands of different chess games and in many ways uh-huh. it kind of Uh, brute forced its way to a solution but today we now have much more uh, sophisticated techniques that are able to um, use more creativity and not require so much on uh, specific examples from the past to refer to they can think more intuitively and more quickly
1: So can you, do you have any examples of of that, that, you know, today, because we've advanced so much, I mean, we're over 20 years later, and um, what, could you give us an example of something today? Certainly,
2: I mean, we're engaging with machine intelligence all of the time, but normally it's in ways that we don't really think of. For example, if we uh, use our navigational systems to get around town or figure, figure out what, uh, what train or bus to jump on uh, at a certain location, I mean, all of those are driven by very complex machine intelligence algorithms, but we don't really uh, think of them as AI, we just accept them as a tool. And so the benchmark of what is AI is always changing. The goalposts are always shifting. As soon as we get used to it, it's just a tool. And that thing that we haven't quite mastered yet is AI. But today, these techniques are enabling all sorts of things like autonomous vehicles, whether that's on the ground or in the air, but also very sophisticated new methods of analyzing medical data, for example, looking for um, uh, tumors or other problems that the human eye may not even necessarily notice. And today, machines are now helping us to make economic decisions or uh, to choose what kind of uh, product or service might give us the most happiness. In all of these ways, machines are now uh, reshaping our lives, often without us consciously noticing it.
1: So, when I, when I think about that, I mean, it's really, it's really burrowed into our lives now. And I, and I think about some of the, the, the voice-based gadgets that we have um, and how they work together. Now, as this advances, how do you think that's going to impact our lives? And do you think there, you know, is there going to be a time where we have so many gadgets, it's going to get confusing or they may get confused? I
2: I think that uh, voice command systems are a wonderful tool for bringing more um, transgenerational connection with AI. Uh, For example, those people who are either too young uh, to know how to type or are um, perhaps a little bit unfamiliar with modern computing systems, all, uh, almost all of us can uh, happily converse, right? Whether it's with a human or uh, with a computer, and so voice-activated systems are so um, so much more easier to access for everyone, which I think is wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, but but do you think do you think that that makes us a little bit lazy in a sense, or do you do you think it's just an additional technology on top of everything else?
2: Well. Um, I imagine that 100 years ago, perhaps, people might have thought that electricity was making us lazy, you know, Mm -hmm. the idea of getting into an elevator rather than taking the stairs. And yet, you know, we take these things for granted. And in many ways, that's what this new intuitive form of machine intelligence is. It is a utility, uh, just like how motive power and steam first enabled us to cross the continents and the oceans and then we wrapped some copper wire around those turbines and we generated electricity and at first we used it for just lighting rooms and heating them and it took us time to realize we could do all sorts of things like manipulate radio waves with electricity and so today this is now emerging as a utility that can be applied to any number of different problems in a very generalized way and that's why it's revolutionising every sector of our society. It's just like electricity all over again.
1: That's a really great analogy, and when when I hear that, it's it really brings me to to think about how AI is driving social trends. Trends. And um, I'd like to ask your talk to you about that. But we're going to take a short break for now. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about how AI is driving us in social trends and in which direction it's driving us. So, but we're going to take a little break right now. And for our listeners, we are talking to Nell Watson, engineer, entrepreneur, and futurist thinker. And she is also on the faculty of AI and robotics at Singularity University in Silicon Valley. If you'd like to reach out to Nell, she does do motivational speaking. And you could reach out to her on her website at nellwatson.com. And she's also on Facebook under Nell. Nell. Nell Watson, and Twitter and LinkedIn under Nell Watson. And I'd also like to say she's going to be speaking at the CINDA Localcom conference uh, located at Microsoft on April 11th, if you'd like to see her there. But please try to reach out to her. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, CEO and leadership business expert. You can contact me with questions and comments at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or join our LinkedIn group at leadershipbeyondborders or my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. And with that, we'll be right back. Out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
3: Skilled migrants throughout the world can face a variety of challenges. Many times, they settle for jobs that are below their skill level because their education and qualifications are not recognized. Do we need local experience in a global world? Join host Alma Besserdin for the Global Workplace. We'll explore the issues being faced by migrants, as well as showcase diversity and recognize the leadership and inclusion roles of some of today's top global organizations. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
4: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's Business Channel. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we are talking with Nell Watson, engineer, entrepreneur, and futurist thinker on the faculty of AI and robotics at Singularity University in Silicon Valley. And before the break, we kind of talked a little bit about the generalities of of AI and machine learning and, and a little bit of its history and where it's going. And I'd like to, now, I'd like to really talk about how AI is driving social trends, because we started to compare it to electricity in the past, but it's really driving social trends today. Could you talk to me a, a little bit about that?
2: Certainly. as we delegate more of our decisions to machine intelligence, um, even without necessarily being aware of doing so. There are many opportunities for machines to uh, make interventions in us, and those may be for our better... Uh, <clears throat> sorry, C- can I... Can I uh, let me just okay. uh, scrub yeah. that and continue. <laughs> some okay. of those interventions sorry some of those interventions may be for our betterment or they may not necessarily be so machines are now very very sophisticated at getting under our skin there are algorithms that can watch the blood flowing through your face just from a standard normal camera and so we can pick up every single frisson of emotion even those tiny little micro-expressions that maybe most human beings don't notice, but machines can. And it means that a very rich picture of who we are and the things that drive us can be picked up by machines. And so if applied in a good way, this means that machines are able to help us to flourish, to understand those moments where we may face a, a time of weakness and help us through it help us to be our better selves. But there's also an opportunity to uh, make an intervention and perhaps try and push us ads or push us products uh, when machines know that we've had a tough day at work. So I think it's very important that we begin to get some ethical oversight and to understand what kinds of rules that machines are playing with um, when we're interacting with them.
1: Uh, that that's really a, a really good point now and when you talked about you talked about the the face the facial you know machines being able to really pick up things in our face and um we see we see a lot of facial recognition going on now um do you think that this kind of technology this facial recognition technology i mean maybe in the future will be um you know, I, I don't want to say the new credit card, but just you know all I have to do is show my face and it'll recognize it. I mean, we already see it when we cross the borders to other to 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 other countries and everything. How, where do you think that's going? because is isn't that pushing how we socially interact with each other?
2: Yes, um even the latest smartphones are, of course unlocking themselves just by recognizing your face. Um, using very sophisticated 3D depth mapping capabilities. I think the world ahead is going to look more uh, invisible in that kind of way. So less um, being uh, stopped and harassed to put in our password and that sort of thing. It's probably going to be much more uh, transparent and we're going to interact with machine intelligence in ways that um, we may not uh, necessarily Notice it may not be on our radar, it's just something that happens a thousand times a day and so uh,
1: it's not even on our conscious awareness. So it's really changing the way we go about our daily lives. And um, it's also changing in in, uh, in business. And I'd like to hear a little bit first about your technology that you developed, um, because that was in the medical field and you developed this 3D technology. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes,
2: I um... I I was very eager to help people, um, particularly those working in these uh, sweatshop factories in uh, certain parts of the world. I wanted to help them to gain more um, economic capabilities, but using the skills that they had. And I reasoned that if there was a market for uh, custom fit clothing, then they could move higher up the value chain. And the missing link was getting the specifications, the measurements of the body in a way that is easy. And so I set out to solve that problem. And I was very lucky uh, because I founded the company just at a moment where there was this renaissance in machine intelligence that came and very um, powerful new techniques for understanding visual content, particularly photographs and videos and that sort of thing. And so we developed this new technology, which can turn two photographs of a person just from the front and from the side, into an accurate 3D model of their body for fitting of clothing, but of course also for telemedicine. Mm -hmm. And I think that machine intelligence, as it starts to get under our skin and understand us more and more, there are incredible opportunities for machines to help guide us towards greater physical uh, flourishing.
1: And technology such as yours, it really helped in two different fields. So, you can, it's helped in the field of clothing or enterprise, and it helped in the field of medical. Do you see in business, which fields do you see uh, moving forward at a very rapid rate with AI? Or are there any fields that are moving a little bit faster than others?
2: Every single sector of our economy is being reshaped by AI, even very traditional ones like real estate and farming. However, the greatest uh, current opportunities are in areas such as design. There's a wonderful new technique that's called GANs. And these GANs are basically like having a somebody uh, forging a painting And uh, an inspector trying to determine whether this painting is uh, bogus or whether it's legitimate. And basically, by creating a loop between them, the forger um, gradually gets feedback about uh, why the uh, inspector thought the painting was bogus or not. And vice versa, the inspector learns whether um, something is likely faked or not. And so over time, these two systems get better and better and better. And the result is you can use machine intelligence to create an amazing forgery. (laughs) Basically, anything can be counterfeited. So you can imagine a face, a person, for example, a celebrity's face that doesn't actually exist, but it looks absolutely completely real. Or these systems can take a sentence like a description of a bird. The bird is, it has... Red plumage and a white beak, and just dream this into existence. And I think that this is very, very powerful for designing new products, uh, optimizing products for de- for strength and for um, minimal materials cost and that sort of thing. And that's where we're seeing some of the greatest strides at the moment is in this revolutionary new form of design. It's very organic. It almost looks a little bit alien. But it's driven entirely by these machine minds,
1: and that that sounds very very exciting. And then to to go to the other side of the coin a little bit on, on the devil's advocate, when when I see that and I'm in business and, and actually I'm an employee, I start to get nervous because people start to get nervous. I mean, this this we have great advancements, but what does that How do you think that's going to impact not just the economy, but maybe the job base and what we do and our contribution to everything? How is our contribution going to change? Human contribution?
2: It's a very, very strong question. (laughs) I mean, nobody knows. The world, yeah. (laughs) Well, there was an amazing statistic um, from the World Economic Forum, and they reckon that the kids that are entering kindergarten today, by the time that they enter the workforce in you know fifteen, twenty years, they're going to be working sixty five percent of them are going to be working in jobs that don't exist today. And so trying to prepare the people of today for a world of tomorrow is, is an immense challenge. And there will be a lot of tumult. There will be a lot of changes. On balance, I think it's positive. I think there are tremendous opportunities to apply machine intelligence to unlock human creativity, for example. Um, Just as Leonardo da Vinci had assistants running around uh, helping implement his amazing ideas, machines can act in a similar way for us. We don't necessarily need to know how to hold a paintbrush. We can just conceive of something and machines can help us to dream it into existence. And just as aristocrats had lots of people helping them run their lives and manage their estates and act as a kind of a butler, machines are now providing a similar kind of service for everyone in society. That's where we're going in in the next few years. So, on some level, we're kind of all becoming aristocrats in some shape or form.
1: That's that, that's a that's a uh, interesting way to put it. I it I can see it. I become actually a picture in my head when you say that. So it's a really good analogy. Um, but the, the, uh, with that in mind, and uh, are, do you think that really? Uh, we can get that human touch, okay? So these the machines can teach us to learn and we can get something about from it. Um, but someplace, for example, in business, when in customer service, um, is that human touch going to be missed, do you think, in, in the future? Or can AI actually take that over 100%? Well, I think
2: some of the most important roles in the years to come is in acting a little bit like a like a teacher or a guardian of machine intelligence basically acting as good role models and instilling values into machines I think that is the greatest question of our time is how to do that and how to do that well in a way that is fair and with equity And that's why I'm working on this EthicsNet project, which is to create a data set for machine ethics. So a data set is, well, it's a little bit like a database, right? It's a collection of data, but in machine intelligence terms, we use the word data set to describe a set of experiences for machine learning systems to learn from, for example, pictures of cars, pictures of buses or dogs and cats and things like that. And so we're trying to create a data set of little stories, <laughs> parables, if you will, with um, good or not so good outcomes, and to help teach machines how to act in ways that ideally most of us would, uh, would prefer that machines acted in. If machines are going to be making these kinds of decisions for us, they have to be made in a way that is safe and
1: fair, and is going to strengthen our communities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that—that's kind of teaching them ethics and morals. And and um, and and how how's that going? I mean, how, how do you go about doing that? You do you do tell, showing them the stories, and and then they learn from that. A little data bit, sets? yes. Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: if you think about it. Um, if you go down to your local library, they have uh, fiction books and nonfiction books. And mm-hmm. nonfiction books are for transmitting facts, but fiction books are often for transmitting values, you know, the things that create our cultures. And so I think there's a lot of power in little fictions to, to teach about human values. And we are working with a, a crowd of people all across the world and getting all of their different suggestions and inputs and uh, amalgamating it together to help construct this sort of um, collection of fairy tales, if you will, to help Mm -hmm. train baby AIs in how to be prosocial and kind.
1: Mm Well that's something I'd, I'd like to stay on this subject we're going to take a short break but I think that's really interesting because as we actually start to to build maybe digital life forms you know how do we uh, this ethics this morals the values are, are so important so I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that after the break and also the fact that that values are different. I like what you said about you're doing this with people all over the world. I mean, the values are, are different in different countries. And, and how do we then grasp those? I mean, we have basic human values that are the same, but how do we grasp these cultural differences? Or can we not do that but through machines? But I'd like to come back with that after the break now. And um, for our... Listeners, we are taking a short break and we're talking with Nell Watson, engineer, entrepreneur and futurist thinker. And Nell is on the faculty of AI and robotics at Singularity University in Silicon Valley. And Nell is a motivational speaker and a lecturer on AI and robotics. And she can be reached under her website at www.nellwatson.com. She's also on Facebook under Nell Watson and on Twitter under Nell Watson and LinkedIn also under Nell Watson. And Nell will be speaking at LocalCom in London on April eleventh at the Microsoft Building. And if you're interested in tickets to Localcom two thousand and eighteen, you can send me an email at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail dot com. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, and you're listening to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America Business. And with that we'll be right back.
3: skilled migrants throughout the world can face a variety of challenges. Many times they settle for jobs that are below their skill level because their education and qualifications are not recognized. Do we need local experience in a global world? Join host Alma Besserdon for The Global Workplace. We'll explore the issues being faced by migrants as well as showcase diversity and recognize the leadership and inclusion roles of some of today's top global organizations. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel, one of the best series for learning about global leadership and business issues. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis. And today we're speaking with Nell Watson, engineer, entrepreneur, and futurist thinker. And Nell is on the faculty of AI and robotics at Singularity University in Silicon Valley. And she's also a motivational speaker and expert expert on AI and robotics, and we've kind of, we've just been talking a little bit now, we started to get into before the break on, um, you know, can, my question I think was, can machines really take humans places because of our ethics and our values and 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 you have a project where your ethnic net project where you're teaching this and my question to you was okay we can we can get them to learn the values and we all have human values um, as human beings which are pretty much this you know the same but we have a lot of different values, cultural values. How do how can you take those things into effect?
2: It's a very good question and a very, very tricky question. Something that I think is going to take um, a lot of time, a lot of effort to cautiously navigate. There are many things which unite us as human beings. We all get lonely sometimes. We have those around us that we love and we want them to be happy. We all want to belong to a community and we all wish to take action in the world, it will make it a little bit better and make other people happier. I think since the 1990s, in many different societies across the world, there's been in many ways an increasing polarization between different groups, and I think that's been reinforced by social media. I think machine intelligence and social media have a very strong interplay together. And I think in some ways machine intelligence has um, something to answer for, for its role. I mean, it's it's not a conscious thing. It's just, it's trying to get people to have a response. And if the strongest response is from something that provokes outrage, then well, that's naturally what's going to float to the top, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But there are opportunities I believe through machine intelligence to bring people together. As machines start to understand who we are, to understand our values and our core beliefs, then there are opportunities to find people that share those sorts of values and those ways of understanding the world that otherwise we might not encounter. For example, we've seen a very large increase in the amount of uh, interracial couples. And this is because people meet online these days increasingly, right? And mm-hmm. so there may not have been a social circle uh, interface in the, uh, in the physical world, but in the virtual world, those barriers disappear. And so I think there are wonderful opportunities for machines to find amazing potential friends for us, maybe even lovers, partners, spouses, that we haven't discovered. And, you know, without a chance encounter, we, we may not meet them. And so I think that's one of the ways in which machines can help us to build stronger communities, to find people that uh, we really
1: should take as our flock. Mm-hmm. So you you think that they can you know they really are capable of learning and and starting to to recognize you know the 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 values the biases of our lives and bring us together in the future, and I, that example of. Um, the interracial couples and social media is a really good example so we we really don't know what's going to happen we don't have a crystal ball but you're seeing things happen already because you're you're already teaching these machines in your project right correct indeed indeed we're
2: trying to uh, hold our hands uh, a little bit like young children to provide some good examples and in many ways, that's that's how I liken machine intelligence. It's like we are uh, teenage, <laughs> we're, we're kind of like like teenage uh, pregnant mothers um, who are about to give birth to this uh, this uh, new creature, and uh, we're not really prepared for it yet. But you know, there's there's not much we can do about it. So it's it's coming, and so it's it's up to us to. To grow up fast, so that we can be the best possible parents for this uh, this new form of intelligence in the world.
1: And and when we say best possible parents, um, there's one thing that uh, I've become aware of, and we're, we're talking about creating these machines that we've already we've already created a digital life form. Is that um, there was a project which actually. Created a digital life form. If you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that,
2: yeah, there's a wonderful project. It's called Open Worm and it has the goal of uh, replicating a C. elegans worm, one of the most uh, simple little creatures used in laboratory studies all across the world. And it only has 302 neurons, which is very small in our brains we have about 86 billion so it's it's a very very simple creature even a bumblebee has about two million neurons but the c elegans worm simple as it is 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 a great place to start replicating an entire organism in silico so not just the worm's neurons but all of its uh, guts and innards and all of these things its nervous system for example cannot now be completely replicated in silicon. And the amazing thing is that you can take that digital organism and put it inside a robotic body so that it can explore the world and interact with it. And this little robot with a worm brain inside it, it believes it's a worm, right? It has input, it has output. Why would it know any different? It really is a remarkable fusion of the sort of uh, biological and silicon that we're seeing today
1: so, and this 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 project really um is, is just the infancy um and obviously you said because because of the amount of neurons it was you know we're much more complex creatures um but it can shows that it can be done. Okay, um, But when I come back to the, and I think I, I've read about that project and I think it's really cool. So I would say our listen, listeners, if you haven't read about it, Google it. Um, it's called the open worm project right now and um, take a look at that. So when we talk about uh, coming back to, to more complex creatures, um, do you really, th- as we start to develop these things and develop digital life forms, do you really think that, that the, these machines are going to be able to share our mind space? Well, perhaps not,
2: not directly. I, I liken it to the difference between an airplane and a bird. Both of them fly in the sky, but using very different methods. Some of the principles are analogous, you know, both birds and airplanes have wings and they propel themselves forward in certain ways. But the specifics of how that is achieved may be very different. And so we cannot really expect machine intelligence to act in ways which are anything like a human being per se, or even like an octopus or a sea urchin, or anything like that. We don't know what is going to come. However, whether or not they share a similar way of understanding or perceiving the world, or whether they even can, we still have an opportunity to teach them rules. We still have an opportunity to socialize them. And in many ways, this is a little bit like how we did with dogs tens of thousands of years ago. The dog was a very, very dangerous intelligence, which um, was a big threat to our uh, ancient ancestors. But they co-opted the dog's pack uh, mechanisms and made the dog gentle, made the dog tame, made the dog act like a child dog, like a puppy, and gradually made that dog love us. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we want to be doing with machine intelligence. We want to have something that really loves us and wants to see us happy and flourishing just the way that dogs do. And I think about it, if you had a super intelligent golden retriever, do you think it would be a threat? And I'm inclined to think probably not. And so perhaps that's one nice way of making machines safe is not to keep them on a chain, but make them simply want to adore us and make us happy.
1: Mm-hmm. It, 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 my impression as we have this d- discussion, this is really interesting because I, I feel like we're just I feel like we're talking about the machine as a human being, <laughs> yeah, or a pet, or a, and so it's, it's a really different kind of conversation, and I really appreciate it, because I myself have not really gone into this depth of thinking about how they really, how can they really impact my, my world, and both business and in personal. And Nell, on that, I'd like to just, you know, all this happens because it's, it's about data, also okay and um that's how you're putting it together and there's there's so many and we talked about facial recognition and all this and there are some movements um in, you know, social media, on, on privacy, and of course, um, you're from Northern Ireland, so you know that the um, uh, e-privacy laws that are that are going on in the European Commission right now, um, mm-hmm. and of course the whole world knows about GDP, um, GDPR, sorry, now I'm making the bluff, okay, but um, uh, what... Do you think any of these movements on e-privacy or anything is are contrary to the advancement of AI or may prevent them, prevent it from moving faster?
2: I think there are some significant problems with some of the data regulations in that in some ways they are specifying that companies must do certain things which may not necessarily even be possible at this stage in technology for example one of the strongest areas of research at the moment is trying to develop explainable ai so that's you know getting machines to explain why they made a decision or prediction and unfortunately many of the most sophisticated techniques we've developed in the past few years are what's called a black box they are a weird statistical engine where you put data in and it does a funny thing and it spits out and it's very difficult to understand exactly what happened in there. That's one problem. Another is that many of the most powerful companies in the world today, Google, for example, operate with very powerful but proprietary algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to hand over those trade secrets for some authority to take a look at and reckon whether they are uh, safe or decent or non-biased or not and so we have a tremendous I would say challenge I'm going to say opportunity Mm. we have a tremendous opportunity in finding methods where we can figure out data about something but not the specifics Mm -hmm. And there are some new forms of cryptography which can help with that process. And it's my belief that really what's going to drive the 2020s is the confluence between AI, blockchain, and similar crypto technologies, and machine ethics, this technique of teaching human values to machines. Mm -hmm. With AI, blockchain, and machine ethics all together, We can have machines which are smart, which are safe, and which are kind and ethical. That's what we need all together, I believe.
1: And I think that's that's a great conclusion now and a, a great way to to leave it and um, a perfect wrap up. And I'd like to thank you so much for for being with me today on this show. And for our listeners, we have been speaking with Nell Watson, engineer, entrepreneur, and futurist thinker, on the faculty of AI and robotics at Singularity University in Silicon Valley. Nell is also a motivational speaker. She'd be speaking at localcom twenty eighteen on April eleventh in London. And you she can be reached at Nellwatson.com and Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all under Nell Watson. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you in uh, about ten days now. Thank you. I can't wait either. Cinda is gonna be a blast. Okay. Yes. So to London. And for our for our listeners again, I'm Kimberly Lewis. You've been listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. This is a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy SRO and the Women's Leadership Academy 2020. Please get in touch with me for leadership training, systemic team coaching, and motivational speaking and executive coaching. If you'd like to contact me, please contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or visit my website, LeadershipBeyondBorders.net. And please also visit the CINDA website at www.cinda.com and look at CINDA. We're a nonprofit platform for companies in media and technology and join CINDA with us. And I'm on the show each week, and each week when I end the show, I usually end with a leadership word or a leadership tip. And today I would just like to end with the tip that we should not be afraid of AI or machine learning. And I think Nell did a really good job today on... Helping calm us down about it and get us excited about it at the same time. Okay, um, let's embrace it. It is our future. It can improve our lives. There are so many opportunities in both your personal life and in business with AI and machine machine learning. Embrace it. And for that, then I will be signing off now. And please tune in next week